Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Terry Ishii. And today on the roundtable, we are joined by three wonderful individuals. Uh, in Colorado Springs, Roland Smith, our old friend, is back at the roundtable. Buddy, how are you doing? Man, I liked how you kind of whispered my name like it was sexy or something, you know? Right. So I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah we're doing good up good, here. Good. Doing good. Uh, and in Boston, Drew Thurman. Welcome back, man. Great to have you on the podcast. Yep. Yep, it's great to be back. And you didn't whisper my name because it is not sexy at all. <laughs> no, man, the love is there for sure. Uh, and then my partner in crime, Alan Bradford, Knoxville, Tennessee. How you doing, man? Always good. I like how you introduce Roland as your our old friend. I mean, he is the oldest one on here and he does have the white hair now. So it's kind of like, oh, the, the elder Roland Smith. That was, that was nice. <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned that because Roland with the white hair, if, if you guys haven't seen Roland on social media in the, in the last year or so, he's gone to like the crazy, like cr craziest white hair, like Jay Leno white. And dude, it's so, it suits you so well. I mean, I, this isn't oh, about like compliments to Roland, but I've yeah. told Doug it. I don't think I've ever told you that, but it looks good. Well, thanks. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, just go to info at rollandsmith.net and buy a book while you're there. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. He wrote the book with black hair, but he's selling it with white hair. And so, That's right. yeah. And then Drew, you have no hair. I know. I was, I was just, I'm quiet over here because I'm just jealous of anyone that does have hair. So yeah, Alan and I, man, yeah, we'll, we'll start our own club. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, thank you guys for being on, uh, Roland and Drew, uh, We've been going through this uh, three-part series on this formula that we, we throw around in Forge that we refer to as, as CME. So it's the idea of Christology informs our missiology, which informs our ecclesiology. Uh, and we had Jeremy Chambers and Monica Chambers on for our conversation on Christology. And man, what, what a great conversation, just talking about the importance of having a truly robust uh, Christology that if if we don't if we don't understand the priorities and postures of Jesus, um, it, it is gonna, it's going to suffer in our our mission uh, and what that looks like. And so uh, we had a conversation last week with Andreas Zelaya uh, from Houston. Uh, and he talked a lot about uh, his years as a mission pastor and the things that he's doing and, and some of the work he's doing now. Uh, and when we had this conversation, we're thinking about, hey, who, who do we want to bring on for the ecclesiology conversation? And I'll be honest, you guys were the first two people that we threw out there. Uh, and really, it has a lot to do with your experience. I think you guys have a unique perspective that uh, not a lot of people have. You both have served in uh, the large church uh, model um, and, and have experienced what that can be like and, and both the good and the bad, right? Because that's, let's preface the conversation. By no means are we here to bash one model over another. Um, all models are good. They're all, they can all be effective. What we really want to get to is how does mission inform that model and how does it contextualize to the people we are trying to reach? And so not only have you guys done the large model, you've both been experimental in small incarnational models, uh, both with Pando, 
uh, Collective and Renaissance there in Boston. And so welcome. Uh, we look forward to hearing your insights on this conversation. So let me kick it to Bradford. Uh, Alan, when you think about ecclesiology, I've uh, been for a long time. What what comes to mind? What are the uh, what are the conversational trappings that might be when you talk about? Hey, here's what the church is and should be. Well, let me let me give you a little of my context. My context is I, I started going to church when I was 14. Parents drug me to church, hated going, never really wanted to go, and it was a small Southern church. You know, maybe 200, 300 people. Um, so small church and in the South. <laughs> so that has a particular uh, flavor and feel to it. But it's also where I came to faith, love the people, love the church. It's a, it's a, it's a great uh, community. My parents are still a part of that community. Um, and so when I think about this conversation, I think about my experiences of what church has been, right? So you start thinking about um, the churches that I have um, been on staff at. I've been on staff at four different churches in my 20 plus years of ministry. Um, and, and you start to look through the conversations that people have about church. Early on, there was a lot of denominational conversations, right? So like almost as if our denomination was the church. <laughs> I still remember uh, one of the leaders at my church going, if every insert denomination of our church were to grow by 10% or whatever in our county, there still would be all these unbelievers as if <laughs> our church was the only, our denomination was the only one who had it, right? It was very yeah. denominational. Um, and, and you have to start to navigate some of those waters. What does that mean? Like, just because. Um, but then also, uh, I grew up in the time where you started to have the worship wars, and, and then eventually it was the emerging church, right? So the worship wars was over the style of music. Why, why in the world that was a fight? I have no idea. And Roland, you could probably speak to that more than anybody. Um, but then also uh, it started to become about the emerging church. And then in the emerging church, you started to talk about kind of the pushback towards um, what you'd almost call the consumer mentality church, which is like, let's create this ginormous thing that has all the programs, all the the goods and services for everybody, you know, you think of your mega church and then there's the pushback to like, Oh, we need small churches. We need the house church. We need this. And it always became a, uh, us versus them, whatever the conversation was, uh, the worship wars, hymns versus contemporary, um, you know, the mega versus the small emerging church versus traditional. And now you can start throwing in the missional idea. It was always, uh, versus it was always a competition. Dude, I think you said it, Ishi. The bride of Christ is beautiful in all her different forms. She really is. And it's not in it's not an either or. It can be an and. And each one of those forms has a um has a beauty to it and the spirit is working. And so I think a lot of times in the conversation it's it's validating all the expressions of ecclesia that we do have and saying Hey, the church is, is meant to be nimble and flexible and, and to show up in all kinds of different places. It doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be us versus them. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would jump on, on that. Sure. And I think we, you know, we even talk about it Renaissance, even though we're kind of on uh, maybe a pioneering edge um, that, yeah, we, we don't believe the church is an organization. It's an organism. Uh, it's a mosaic. There's so many different, beautiful expressions and what we're more worried about. And, 
because I mean, believe me, you know, I, I probably came in with some idealism leaning into doing church in a more missional expression. And I've learned very quickly that the, you know, the grass is not greener. I do think there's some ways that you're able to lean into to mission better. Um, but I'm more worried, you know, the old adage of form should follow function. You know, everything you were just talking about, Bradford was all about form, 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 form. And I think, I often think the church, struggles because we're so obsessed with form. We go to conferences that teach us new forms and we have this kind of silver bullet mentality of what's the next silver bullet that's going to, to get me to have church growth or to, to be successful rather than saying, let's just give up silver bullet mentality and get more into the, what is the function. And, you know, I'm a big believer as someone who loved, like I love the literature of Leslie Newbegin I believe very much in a lot of what Stanley Hirewas talks about. If we start believing that the church really is uh, supposed to be an embodiment of, of uh, the kingdom, that Jesus did not have dis- didn't want his teaching to be disembodied um, or his kingdom to be disembodied, that we're an embodiment of that, uh, that the church really doesn't have a missiology. It is the missiology. And that if we are living that alternative story, and we are leaning into the, to being a, as Newbegin said, a sign, a foretaste, an instrument of the, the kingdom, then, you know, we can, the, the form is going to change based off of our context, based off of the people that we're trying to love on. Um, but as long as we're, we're tied to the proper uh, function and, you know, let's stop debating form and let's find beauty and give permission to all these different, uh, that mosaic of different expressions of the church. Yeah, and I think that's great. Can we can we pause for a minute in this conversation and have because uh, Terry, you kind of referenced it. I'd love to hear from Drew and from Roland, kind of your context. Uh, so, Roland, you've given us some of your context before, but Drew, can you kind of explain Renaissance to those who don't know it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I've told my story before on the the podcast. You know, I, I operate in a lot of like attractional megachurch um, spaces. I now um, am starting kind of. Uh, a micro church expression of the church. So um, we operate as a hub that is uh, resourcing people to be uh, living in a micro church rhythm. Um, As many have said, we've kind of agreed upon like an ecclesial minimum that we say, if you're, you have communion, community and commission, you're the church. So we don't care if there's five of you or 50 of you, we want to resource you, equip you so that we can realize that First Peter two nine and ten, the priesthood of all believers uh, mentality. So yeah, that's a little bit of what we've got going on. Yeah, for um, in Colorado Springs, um, I, I have an interesting uh, context now because I have a kind of a foot in both arenas, and so I've I spent years and years in kind of large attractional um, environments, and I'm at a larger church now. You know about thousand folks and um but we are also launching a micro church network out of that and i mean i think it kind of um it speaks to what cme really is you know our christology um flows determines our missiology which then determines our ecclesiology and so the question becomes not the form, but it becomes the organizing principle, you know, which is something that Briscoe and Hearst and Frost and everyone says a lot, you know, what is the organizing principle of the community that you have? And so it's, you know, in my opinion, it's a lot harder to have a church of a thousand organized around mission 
that's a more difficult thing to do than say four house churches of 10 people each. It's, it's a lot easier to guide them in that type of vision, but it's not impossible. And so I, um, you know, I went on an interesting journey when I kind of left big institutional church where I was kind of, and all I wanted to do was small neighborhood stuff. And then, um, and now I'm kind of a both end person. I think it's more, it's less about form and it's more questions about, well, what are your organizing principles of your church? And so it's, if it's Sunday centric, you're going to have a hard time shifting to missional. If you're able to decentralize away from the values of Sunday a little bit, then I think a church, a bigger church has a chance to look missional. Um, and for us, what we determined, even though we are, we talk missionally from the stage in our in our larger context, we decided that we needed to launch an intentional microchurch network. And so we've launched something that looks very much probably like Renaissance or Tampa Underground or some of the you know some of these kind of organic structures. It's a dotted line back to. Um, pulpit rock church which is our large church and the the beauty of that is that we get all kinds of resources and leadership and leverage from that um and it you know and helping it launch um i, I would say with a lot more and more momentum if, than if it was just by itself yeah roland you you bring up a really interesting concept uh, and you just kind of scratch the surface and I, i'd like to spend some time digging into that and it's this idea of orienting principle I think we've all experienced uh, churches that have been oriented around different things. Typically, we're all relatively young guys, um, you know, and so in the last 30 years of ministry, the, the most predominant orienting principle is worship uh, that has kind of dominated the culture. Now, maybe some denominationals here and there will slide more to a discipleship orienting principle or maybe even a <clears throat> community um, I think in the, the 80s, there was a, a hot, a hot, a hot minute where it was all about community. So you had all these like, community churches kind of pop up. And, um, and so I'd love to hear your guys thoughts on how the different ideas, uh, how these different community worship, discipleship, and even mission, what does it look like when we orient around those things? And then what has been your experience uh, in being a part of a church that oriented around something other than mission? Um what do they do well and what are kind of the downfalls that you've experienced? Well, I, you know, my first 20 something years in ministry, I was a mainly in worship, um, did other, other stuff on church staffs as well. But my primary role was usually as a worship leader. And, and so and being in the larger context like that, uh, and having a past life, um, on tour and rock bands and that kind of stuff, you know, it was always kind of put on me to um, make the Sunday event as I, I kind of hate the word relevant, you know, in church, but, but that's the word that was used a lot is like make it really relevant. And what that meant was, you know, video, fog machines, lights, rock bands, um, make it as close to what people experience during the week uh, so that they're attracted to it. And um, I I think that that, you know, the argument is always, well, are you, 
are you contextualizing language, which is a good argument. If we were going to go plant a church in, you know, Italy, we'd have to learn Italian and learn all the things that, that they do. And we would do that for the sake of the gospel. And so th- there's, there's an argument to be said for that the church does creative things well as a means of communication. But it, was, it also has become an attractional competition, you know, and people, what, we, what I think we've been unintentionally done is we have discipled Christians uh, deeper into their consumerism. Mm-hmm. And so they start looking for better worship or better, um, a better feeling, you know, from what the worship team can give them, better teaching, you know, better programs, all those kinds of things. And so I think it's, an, it's as important to ask what you don't do if you're at a larger church. Say, what are the things we don't want to do? Because we're unintentionally discipling people in something we don't want them to learn, as it is to be uh, excellent at what you do, you know? And so at our church, for example, I have a fog machine and it's been sitting in the back for the last five years. And if anyone wants it, just email me and I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'm, you know, and I say that kind of jokingly and to make a point which is we asked a very intentional question about consumerism and attractionalism and uh, elevating mission over the event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. For us. So for us, that's, those are the kind of questions uh, that we ask. So that's, that's an example, I think, of what the church has not done well as someone that was part of that problem and kind of was cured of it. And then kind of the questions we need to ask going forward, even church planters that I meet with, you know, I'm always asking them about like, what are they going to do building wise and meeting wise and gathering wise? like, what are their methodologies that they're thinking about? And I always tell them that point, you should be asking what you don't want to do so that you don't set up bad discipleship. Yeah, I think it's important to also understand that um, the, the, even in this conversation, we're not saying that worship is bad. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's it's actually something that we need to to give time to and emphasis to. And so, I mean, don't hear what we're not saying. If you're new to the conversation, it's like, oh, these guys are down on worship. This is this is what we should be doing. That's not the case. But it's like, what is the purpose? And and I think you're absolutely right. Is we create we every church creates a culture, uh, and we're discipling them. Uh, in one form or another. And, and a lot of the things that we've set up out of automation and out of ease, because we're trying to do something so big that it's created that consumeristic mindset. And, and it's hard to combat. Yeah, to jump in there. I think as you were asking that question, and even as Roland was talking, what came to mind to me is like, you know, I, I think, you know, living in that world, if hundred pastors across paradigm into a room and ask them if they're, what they're doing I don't think they would actually say their organizing principle was worship or community. I think they would think their organizing principle was mission. We're doing sure. this thing. We're doing a Sunday morning or we're doing a program or we're doing community. And we, we have a deep desire for the lost to be found and, and find Jesus. I think part of what's happening and what we can reflect on now is that I think we institutionalized mission. And I think mm-hmm. what a lot of what we're the conversations that forge has is, is getting away from it. When we talk about decentralization is handing mission back in the hands of our people. Uh, I remember, you know, 
10, 15 years ago, going to one of the largest churches in the Midwest and hearing the pastor basically like, you just get, just get your friends here and we'll do the rest. It was almost like you're merely at best an inviter. And we're kind of this, like, we're the mission factor. And so I think, uh, to all those other things, they weren't bad, but I think we had institu- they'd institutionalized mission based on and, and gathered around these other things that we, they thought was going to be effective. And I think now in general, I mean, I love, I, if, I would recommend to all of our, our listeners, uh, the book, New Power. In general, institutionalism is failing across West, the Western hemisphere. And I think what you're seeing is power has gone from currency to current, and I think you're starting to see the same thing. Mission used to be currency held by a few that we've got the theology degrees and we're the ones just get them here. And we know we're the ones that are closer to Jesus. We're the ones that have the knowledge and mission's starting to become current. And it's this awesome deal where we're, we're moving away from top down um, leadership heavy um, structures to much more collaboration, higher participation and I, I personally, I mean, I was just on a call last night, all these people coming from existing churches, like 10 couples who are like, we want to start a missional paradigm of the church. And all of them are literally saying, we've discovered this latent missional potential that we have in us. And we don't have all the answers, but we, we want to lean into this. And so I think to your point, it's not that all that other stuff was bad. And I think those people were desiring to live in mission. It's just that I think we're, we're discovering that for mission to be most effective, it can't be held by and guarded by a few. It has to be released to everyone. Yeah. I was having a conversation this past week with a group of pastors and we were, we were actually working, talking with some church planters, trying to suss them out and get ready to fund them for 2021. And um, there was this really unique conversation that kind of happened in the middle of it is like, okay, what is a, what is, is a pastor's job. Like, what does a pastor actually do? Uh, and there was a large contingency in the room that basically reduced the the role of pastor as someone who preaches the word of God. Like that, it, it came down to that. I was just, I was so taken aback. Not that, that I think that's wrong, but it's such a reductionist, like interpretation of the role of pastor, of, of a overseer as a leader, that equipping the saints for the ministry has been reduced to preaching the word in a large group setting. And your, your competency on doing that really determines your future success as a pastor, not equipping people for how, how to take what we, what we do talk about on a gathering and how to live that out and how to be good news and how to, how to live out all of the commissionings that Jesus speaks very, very clearly about, but it was how well can you preach the word? Um, And and I think it's, I think that's a default definition for a lot of people. And, and until people are willing to address that and and come face to face with it, uh, I think this is going to be something that we'll continue to see. And it'll be, it'll, there'll be, there'll be sort of disconnection where, and even now, as I say this, you know, good Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people who, who may be listening that, um, that may even just be offended by what I just said. And so, and please, so don't hear what we're not saying. We're not dismissing the preaching of the word, but when it becomes the end all be all, and that's it, then it makes it very easy for participation with Christ to just simply listen to some dude talk. Uh, And we know, as we look at the word of God, uh, participation in Christ, it goes way beyond just sitting in a pew and listening to someone talk for 45 minutes, if you're lucky. Yeah. One of the um, things I was thinking about when 
as Drew was talking about decentralization, which which is a, a big thesis of mine going forward, which is larger churches can act can act like hubs. I know that that's a huge battleship to turn, but I believe that that's a future meta narrative for the church is that they need to decentralize and act more like hubs than just attractional uh, places and events. But as Drew was talking, one of the uh, things I was thinking about, um, Sherwood Lingenfelter talks about, he's got this statement that I'm going to kind of mess up because I don't have it in front of me, but um, that uh, churches typically look more like the missionaries that plant them than the potential new believers. And the beautiful thing about decentralization, microchurch network, and those kind of things, and as you equip and release people to be sent, you know, pastors in their own right, in their own house, or in their own neighborhood, or whatever, is that the church looks more and more like the people that it is incarnational with. Um, Whereas when we plant a church on an old methodology, you know, we go get a school and we set up an event and we do all these things that, that we all know that culture today is not attracted to. And so if the gospel is going to go forward, even in America or in Western context, we have to take a missionary posture like we would overseas where the church looks more like the people that we're going to reach. You know, we can't, it's, I mean, it's a really ironic thing that, you know, Mission, missional work overseas in the past, bad missional work looked like colonization. Yeah. It looked like we're going to plant this thing and then we're going to make you look like us. And we all look at that as missiologists or church people. And we say, yeah, that was a, that was a bad deal. We shouldn't have done that. But then that's exactly what we do in the U S is we plant a church down on the street corner and people that have no idea what Christianity is or, who Jesus is, we do the same thing. We try to colonize them to look like American Christianity. And so I think we have to get back to this mindset of giving ministry to people so that they can incarnate into their space. Well, let me give you an example of that. Uh, I've been listening. So listen to Drew and all you guys talk about uh, how we've institutionalized mission. Um, I'll give you an example. So the community I'm a part of crossings, when we first started several years ago, we said, Hey, we want to, we want to be about the community. Like we want to figure this out. Like how can we actually affect change in the community? Well, as a, as a church, as an organization, which is a great and noble intent. And so they spent like, I think a year, year and a half getting a team together, figuring out, Hey, what are the needs? What are the passions? What are the organizations we can work with in town. And they came up with four or five different initiatives, great things going on in the city and said, Hey, we want everybody to get involved there. And it didn't work. I mean, it worked in in some cases, you know, it was like, ah, yeah, this is a good thing here. People got involved, but it's basically saying it was the old model of saying top down leadership. Let's institutionalize this here. are What a few people are passionate about. And we want everybody to be a part of that. And everybody have a, you know, everybody is going to have the same vision, right? Of course you are. As opposed to saying, oh, what if God has given a vision to every person in our community to be on mission, whatever that looks like. And once you start to make that switch, beautiful things can be birthed out of that. Things that, that, that to be honest with you, church staff or church leaders are not passionate about. There are people in the community who are like, 
I'm incredibly passionate about this and they will launch something and do something that's so incredibly beautiful um, and, and life altering. I'll give you an example. In our community, we have a guy that uh, used to work uh, for an organization here and his job was to alleviate child and servitude in, in Haiti. Uh, it's called the Restebek. It's, it's a part of Haitian culture. Um, and he was setting up model communities, like helping kind of do that. Well, he's like, Hey, this stuff, enslavement, human trafficking, that happens here in East Tennessee. And so he ended up being a part and helped birthing what's called the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. And I've watched it from a distance for the last four or five years. And it's this most amazing thing where they're training our police, the FBI, TBI, frontline workers, hotel workers, and stemming the tide on human trafficking in East Tennessee, in this region. Ain't one pastor... (laughs) (laughs) going to be all fired up to figure that out and say, well, this is what we're all going to do. But this guy did it. And he's like, Hey, and it's, it's this organization that's moving and doing it. And I think that's beautiful. When you give mission back, you start to destroy the clergy laity divide and you start to realize we're all clergy, right? Everybody is. And people get to do these beautiful things uh, that they're passionate, that they're wired for um, and that God's called them to do. Yeah. I actually think that that's the next church growth model and and i don't like it using the term church growth you know but i'm using it just because we all understand the past of that but you know if you were going to strategize church growth i i sometimes ask pastors that have existing churches why why not why are you not leaning into a more missional model um because to plant to have a hub and then plant, you know, 50 to hundred house churches around the city is, is church growth. Now it's messier to your point, Alan. I mean, it looks, it can look like all kinds of different stories, the different things going on. And so pastors have to, uh, or leaders have to give up control of everything that the church is doing. But um, I mean, if we, if we're honest with ourselves, the kingdom is very, You know, and, um, and our job is to not control the messiness. It's to join God in the messiness and bring beauty and shalom and all those things to where we can. Yeah. And so let me, let me throw in one more idea here. Uh, so, um, I think it was Kim Hammond. He used to be our national director at forge. He had this phrase that I heard it from him, but he said, every good thing has a shadow. Okay. So, uh, the church for the last, however long has been doing, I think Jesus is still being glorified. The spirit is still working, even though now we can stand outside and say, there's been some shadow and now we're dealing with the cultural effects of those shadows. Okay. Right. Uh, so one of the ways to understand the shadow, and I think it speaks to what you're talking about, Roland, is there was a book that came out several years ago called, um, church refugees. And it was a sociologist who sat down and he did this paper and kind of said, um, hey, there's all these people who were leaders, maybe even on staff, but high level leaders in churches, and they've just walked away. They've maybe not given up on their faith. They've not given up on Jesus, but they've walked away from the church. So he did this study and it's like, what's going on? And he came down to really, it was four things of why they walked away from the church. One, they want a community, but they find judgment. Two, they wanted to affect the life of the church, but they ended up getting bureaucracy. Uh, Three, they wanted conversation, but they just got doctrine. And then four, to this conversation, they wanted meaningful engagement with the world, but they just got moral prescriptions. 
So people want meaningful engagement with the world. In other words, they want to make the world look more like heaven than earth. <laughs> and I think, I actually think that goes, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, I think people want to make the world better. Now we know we can't do it under our own willpower. It is through the spirit it is through Jesus. And it's not going to be done until Jesus, whatever this looks like when everything's all wrapped up. Right. But people want to say, hey, yeah, my life actually means something. I want to be on mission. They may not use those terms, but there's a desire in all of us for that. Yeah. And I, I would actually say in response, because that's, I mean, we're living in Boston. That's, you know, the people that I have around me and the people that are stepping into a lot of our spaces, we kid around all the time that everyone's deconstructed the church in Boston. And so a lot of what we're doing is trying to reconstruct and give them hope. But to that point, you know, of everything having kind of a dark side, you know, the thing that we struggle with, and I think in general, I run into a number of people in the missional movement that I think this is true of, and I'm, I'm always trying to, to watch for it, that want to do mission apart from spiritual community. And so there is obviously, there is uh, an individual nature to mission. Um, we all have our own missions we want to raise up. You know, that's why I love a lot of the um, work as worship movement, helping people in their secular vocations be on mission. But if we aren't connecting people to that alternative story, if we aren't connecting people and we aren't living into the kingdom um, communally, um, one, we're probably not going to really help form people to be like Jesus. And two, we're going to burn out. And so that's my, I think on the flip side, as great as decentralized spaces are, as great as it is to release mission. Now, a lot of my work is coming alongside people who are wanting to start something and impact mission and say, this is great. But if I just let you go on this and don't tether you together to the larger church body or to some spiritual community, this is not going to be good news very long. And so I think that's the always, we don't want to swing the pendulum too far in one direction. In fact, I see a lot of people wanting to swing from hierarchy to flat leadership. And what a lot of what we're trying to do is saying, what happens when it's more of a polycentric, um, you know, leadership role and making sure that there's still healthy spiritual community. And we're not just raising up Lone Ranger missionaries that, that aren't going to be around in five years. Yeah. And I, th I think it's, it's uh, Dan White. I heard um, say, you know, the, that every successful movement that he's seen has some sort of centralization to it. So you know, when we talk about flattening leadership or APEST or um, any of those kind of things, I don't think it looks like a flat line uh, rule by committee or anything like that, but it's just this realization that, um, you know, that one person or two people or three people aren't the ones that do do mission. It's whole community that does. This has been such a great conversation. Um, as I'd like to go ahead and, and kind of wrap wrap the conversation up, but in doing so, what I'd love to hear from you guys is let's let's kind of add tangible thinking. Um, anyone who may be listening and like, okay, I get it. I'm sold. Okay, how do I get started? How do I begin to allow a Jesus formed mission? Um speak into my form and model of church. So what, what do you guys think? What are some tangible ways that people can get started in just taking and allowing the mission of Jesus to inform how we gather? Well, I like, um, I, I think it was you, Drew, who said, you know, you, you started to sit down and go, what is the church? And the best example I've seen is if you've read uh, Brian Sanders underground, was it called underground church? He talked about yeah. the birth of Tampa underground. And he said, basically he got this team together. They threw out all the pieces on the table 
and say, okay, why are we do this and what is it? Um, and then, and then really kind of reconstructed their concept of what, uh, say, the ecclesia is based on the CME, the Christology, Missiology, Ecclesiology. And, and what I loved is he kind of ends the book saying, I hope the next generation does it all over again. Um, I, I, Terry, I remember hearing you say one time, uh, a lot of things that we do in the church, we just set it and forget it. And it's just automation, right? And then you just become a manager of that, which is automated. A lot of us have inherited automated systems. This is how we do church Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, da, 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 all these different things, as opposed to stopping and saying, why do we do what we do uh, of CME? E, uh, the ecclesia needs to be the most nimble, the most fluid, uh, because the church has always changed. Uh, right now, when I hear people talking about, oh, the church is dying, that's the big news stuff, right? Oh, the church, people are leaving the church in droves. I'm like, eh, the church has survived empires, the church will be fine. Um, and if you're talking about the institutional church with the clergy laity divide and letting it die, sure, that's fine. But the church is going to be fine. Um, and, but it's going to look like something different. It's going to look like something new. So actually taking time to just say, why do we do what we do? And having that be centered around Jesus and having it be centered around what his postures and priorities are, are huge. I, I think the practical um, things I'd, I'd highlight would be probably to brick and mortar churches that uh, this is an opportunity. They have an opportunity right now Huge. to become missional hubs. And, and, and we may not get this opportunity again. They may not get this opportunity again, that as ecclesiology has been having a hard time attracting people into the building, we've all seen the numbers going down of people that go to church on Sunday morning, go to a church event opportunity right now to become a missional hub. And um, it's not that we're experts on it because we're like right in the middle of trying to do it. Uh, but we're, we are, you know, it's kind of like when you're climbing, uh, when you're climbing a hill that's kind of sandy and rocky, you know, we're slipping a little bit, but we're finding footing and we're, and we're finding ourselves kind of making it to the top. We're, we're getting some wins. And so there are things that you could do you can that that are like changing your language and your focus, your print, your organizing principles um, inside the church. And that has to start with leadership. So that can seem like a really daunting thing, but, but I would say it can happen in less than a year. We did that at our church with the elder board staff, everyone. Once that starts looking different, then you can start discipling people practice and launch kind of a hub environment out of that where you start seeing new things birthed and uh, they're not necessarily at your building, but they're part of your community, you know? And so it's, it's kind of a hybrid church planting model for your city. You know, sometimes I'll talk about it that way. So I, I would just speak to those people listening that, that have brick and mortar and just say, you have, you have an opportunity right now to think about your church, not as how do I get people into the building, but how do we become a mobilizing hub? And, you know, people like, I mean, Forge and, you know, are here to help. I mean, we have, there's all kinds of people that are around to help think through that and coach through that. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the two things that come to mind right away is one, uh, be a practitioner. I think uh, ministers in particular love to be theorists and to get a key concept so that they can just teach it or create a program around it. And, you know, that was one of my favorite parts, you know, I listened to the, uh, to the round table with Andreas and that's one of my favorite things, listening to him talk. You can clearly tell this has churned in him. He's trying to live it out. And I don't think we have anything to offer our people and training anybody else up if we're not living it. I've, I've just been teaching a residency and I love everybody on that call. I have to get on them constantly. They're all pastors and they all just want to make it theory. You know, when we first asked them, yeah to whom have you been sent? They all like most of them said my church. And this isn't saying that we don't serve the church, but that's not who you're sent to. So, you know, I know Forge talks a lot about that difference. And so I would just say, you know, to be a practitioner first, that's really where it started for me. We started throwing neighborhood parties and I, you know, my wife and I were involved in school and coaching. And I started realizing like, uh, I want to spend more time doing this. Uh, these are, aren't going to show up to my centralized thing. And so I think if we start there, that's a great thing. And then number two, I would just say like, what, whatever, whatever organization you're in, how can you make small changes to move from programmatic to equipping? And, you know, not everybody's going to be able to be like full scale missional um, in, in a year or two, but, you know, from my experience, um, our people are, are feel guilty and are actually hungry for this. They just don't have the tools. And most of it is because we spend so much of our time writing sermons and planning programs. And if you start from your shepherds and your key leaders and saying, Hey, whatever, whatever it is, we're going to start mentoring and raising up people uh, to, to become fully functioning disciples who want to live on mission. I think that's, you know, it, that's where a healthy uh, organizational change starts to happen. And again, that's a complete role change for many of us. And so maybe it's looking and saying, starting in 2021, cut these five programs, because all we're doing is just exhausting our human capital so that we have more space that we can actually mentor and start like coaching some folks. And again, you know, I, I love what Forge talks a lot about, like moving from core culture code. Maybe those folks will be our core that we might go through this for a year or two and then start to see how we can impact culture. But I think that one small shift from programmatic to equipping is life changing for most of our churches um, because we've we've just abandoned it. And a lot of the seminary students that I hang out with are all talking to me about what specialty they've been trained in to go get hired in a large church. And they're not excited about releasing people to ministry. They want to go work their specialty while they're going to work for some fortune 500 company. And so we've got to really shift the game there. Yeah. That's so good, Drew. Uh, it's funny. I've been asked several times by pastors, uh, how do I take advantage of the of COVID? How do I take advantage of all the things that are going on? We would tell people, don't, don't just start axing programs. Don't just start killing things because you have to, you have to be mindful to take people slow but man, the beautiful thing about right now is you have a great scapegoat for just slashing programs. It's like, oh, men's <laughs> ministry, done. Women's ministry, done. Got no space for it. And then as you begin to bring things back online, having some missional things in mind is just, I mean, what a great opportunity at hand uh, to really use that and leverage that for, for something that might be helpful in the churches moving forward. Um, you know, even thinking in this conversation, I, I think... As you guys were talking, I was I was thinking, okay, the church planners who are listening, they don't have a single person, maybe, maybe a small group. 
and they're trying to think, okay, how do I do this? And I think asking these questions are huge. Uh, and then there's some who maybe are pastors of established churches. And, and typically when we think about churches who have these come, it's usually churches who are, they're a little down, they're, they're trending downward, they're, you know, they would be prime for, you know, revitalization. So, oh, maybe mission will help us in revitalization, which I absolutely think is true. I think it, it will help course correct a lot of things but man the thing that excites me is the conversation i'm having with churches that are growing on sunday morning they're thriving on sunday morning and they're like whoa, whoa, whoa exactly what roland said we have an opportunity to do what we do well on sunday but now we can be like this sending source of sending these micro churches house churches missional communities missional expressions whatever the heck you want to call them out into the community and have a deeper impact because it's a different impact. It's like it's like going to the gym and like going to a tricep machine. And I was like, good Lord, what is this? I only work on my biceps because, you know, that's that's all that people care about. You know, do I how big are my arms? But it's like, no, there's a whole other muscle on the other side that if you were to work that thing out, it, it'll make those guns pop when the summer comes around. And so it, it really is keep the bicep going, but like, let's let's work on these other muscles. Let's do these other things, these other aspects of how the body can work. And if we get, if we begin to have a holistic approach, uh, man, how much leaner and, and meaner and quicker that we will be in reaching the mission of God in front of us. And so I think these are all fantastic questions uh, and thoughts and ideas of how to make this shift. Um, Drew, I'll, I'll echo one sentiment that you made that I think is just crucial, no matter whether you're a church planter, a healthy church, <clears throat> a dying church, whatever it may be, is I think there is an important thing that we have to wrestle with when it comes to mission and ecclesiology is asking the questions, to whom have we been sent, but also whom have we been sent with? And so, um, like you said, so many people want to just be sent to the church and we can't. That's who we're sent with. And so let's let's get them in the game. Let's let's mobilize them. Let's let's empower them. Let's give them everything they need to be uh, the, everything they need to be the people and women, men uh, that God wants them to be. So thank you guys uh, for the call, uh, for the for being on the podcast, man. It's been a great conversation. Uh, if you're listening and like, hey, I, I'd love more information on this, you can follow us, uh, forgeamerica.com. Uh, yeah, thank you guys. And um, you guys have a great Thanksgiving.